Irene. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Dr. Claudia Black, a world-renowned expert on addiction and codependency. The third edition of her internationally best-selling book, It Will Never Happen to Me, Growing Up with Addiction as Youngsters, Adolescents, and Adults, is on sale December 1st and is an insightful guide on the experience and legacy of being raised in an addictive household. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Janine. It's a pleasure for me to be here. My old stomping grounds are down in your part of the state of California. And I almost moved to Seattle, so. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When did this book first come out? Actually, I hate to date myself so much, but the book first came out in 1982. So I didn't even know when you were some of these listeners were born. And at that point, it was so groundbreaking. Nobody had ever talked about what it meant to grow up in a home with addiction. And even at that point, we didn't use the word addiction. We talked about alcoholism. Yeah. And, uh, but it continues to be what we call a primer in the field of, addic- of addiction in that um, anybody's working with somebody affected by addiction, this is sort of a must read. Um, but for me, I really wrote the book for people who have that history of growing up in a family where there is predominantly substance abuse disorders. But today, and I'll talk about that in the book too, that the addiction could be a behavioral addiction because a lot of what is similar for people raised with substance use disorders can be similar when there's another addictive disorder taking place in that family system. So- and it was- after all of these years, I mean, this is the third edition, and we know so much more, and I could speak so much more to the traumatic stress that exists within these families. I could speak so much more to the recovery and the healing of these families. Yeah. It's so interesting because when you grow up with a parent that drinks, takes prescription pills, does different things, you think this is kind of normal. You certainly do. And you know, so oftentimes people are raised in addictive families and they don't realize they're even raised in that kind of family. They may know that something's off. They, um, they oftentimes think this behavior is certainly normal. But as I said, sometimes they know something's not right, something's off, but they often don't have a name for it. And without really the name for it is hard to really put it in perspective. And so I work with a lot of people. Um, well, even when it comes to domestic violence, you know, I'll say was, you know, did uh, was there any violence in your home? And they'll say, no, no, there was no violence. And I said, well, did people ever get hit? Oh yeah, people got hit all the time. Uh, so again, we come to normalize. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we talk about alcoholics and drug addicts being in denial. Well, I find that family members, be it a nine-year-old, a 25-year-old, they too have their own denial system. They minimize, they discount, they rationalize because nobody else is usually talking about it. Nobody else is saying there's something really wrong in this family. But one little girl one time said to me, you see, in our family, we just pretend things are different than how they really are. Wow. And that's the way a lot of people are raised when there's alcoholism and other drug addiction. in their yeah. I'll share something with you. I've never shared with anyone uh, on my show, at least. Um, so I grew up in Manhattan. And when I was nine years old, my mom used to go out a lot. She was single. She gave me alcohol. She gave, she she would give me little shots of Harvey Bristol cream. I didn't know what it was. And I'm thinking now I look back and go nine years old. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting that particularly if children have parents who ultimately are going to be in trouble with their use of alcohol or drugs or their partiers, so to speak, that they will introduce their kids 
to drinking when they are, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You know, my father was alcoholic and uh, he would, you know, I'm old enough that we did, he did a lot of driving and we would go in the car with him drinking. And it was just typical that he would give me sips out of his bottles of beer. I mean, that was just the way it was. Yeah. And that's the part of you normalize and you, and you can rationalize if you even start to think about it, but we don't tend to question. And what I talk about in the book is dysfunctional family rules, how you don't talk honestly about what's going on. You learn not to show your feelings. It becomes difficult to trust that other people are going to be there for you. But one of the big don't talk rules is you learn not to question. You simply don't question what is happening anymore. And we don't do that because we don't hear other people talking about it. We don't hear other people acting as if there's something odd about this. But also when we go to talk honestly about our experiences, sometimes we feel as if we're betraying our mother or father. Right. Um, or that we're saying they're bad people. I mean, you know that your mother wasn't a, a bad person and yet she's giving you alcohol at nine years of age. Right. Yeah. No, it's crazy. You have like a warped sense of reality. Yes, you do. You have a warped sense of reality. And the other thing you do with your reality is sometimes you live in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important for people to understand, these are just coping mechanisms when you're eight, nine, 12, 15 years of age. But we take those same coping mechanisms with us into adulthood. Yes. So if I minimize and discount a lot as a child, I continue to do that in my adult life. If I live in a fantasy world, I take that, I fantasize and, and live in that fantasy world a lot in my life. If I tolerate the inappropriate, I continue to tolerate the inappropriate. And then people say, well, you know, so you have a fantasy life as an adult. Well, the problem with that is you have, uh, you have unrealistic expectations regarding relationships. You have unrealistic expectations regarding parenting, regarding social relationships in your work. Every one of these dynamics can influence you in every aspect of your life. Yes. And it's interesting you talk about addiction. I, I was addicted to junk food and any kind of fast food. And, and then I was very depressed as a child. And th- I feel like that's similar to the addiction of alcohol and other things. It's the same pattern and you fall into these negative behaviors. Yes, yes. And one, let me say that there is a growing up with addiction or even the abuse of, um, you're more set up to experience depression. And that's just, I mean, it just makes sense that you would be depressed. There's Mm -hmm. something wrong here. We start to think that maybe there's something wrong with us because that's what kids do. We're very ego-centered. You know, there's a reason that my mom goes out every night and and she doesn't want to be with me. Um, My dad doesn't come home because he doesn't love me enough. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother's depressed or even attempted suicide. And, you know, had I not done what I had done, she wouldn't have done that. So we think that we're responsible for so much of the pain and the confusion and uh, the fear and the loneliness that's permeating this household. And so when we go into adulthood, um, we just take that with us. And if we didn't have depression as a child, we often experience it in our adult life and anxiety. Mm-hmm. We don't know where it comes from because we left that home 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't dawn on us that what's happening in my life today has a very direct relationship. And I want to say a direct relationship to the first 20 years of your life, because we tend to say, well, that's when I was a kid, as if being a kid was a momentary experience. 
you had 15, 20 years of learning to discount the reality, learning that who you were wasn't good enough, learning that it's not okay to set limits for yourself, learning that you're not a priority. So of course that gets acted out because we don't stop to question. Right. And I feel like sometimes things come up as an adult because you've suppressed them so long that when you're an adult, you finally peel away the layers and all of a sudden you're faced with some things that were unresolved. Yes, very much so. I also sometimes say that they leak, that we defended ourselves really well and those defenses work for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe 30 years. But in time, as we age, things don't work as well as they once did. Well, our emotional defenses don't work either and they just start to leak. But I also think, you know, for those listeners who are parents, nothing's going to challenge you more around your growing up family of origin issues than to be a parent yourself. And, you know, suddenly you're going to be saying things and behaving in ways that you thought you would never do, you know, and you've said to yourself, I'd never repeat this. I'd never do this. And you think you're going to do it so differently. And it isn't so much an issue of willpower or self-control. It's like you didn't learn how to do it so differently. Those Mm -hmm. models weren't there. Yeah. So this new edition, you touch on a lot of different things. Do you want to just share some highlights that stand out? Yes. Well, one is I really talk a lot more about than I, the language of uh, traumatic stress and that to grow up with addiction is a really a traumatic experience. And so I'll talk about what trauma is because we think of trauma as acute situations, a natural disaster, a community shooting, maybe the house burns down or there's a car accident. Those are very traumatic. But to live with fear on a chronic basis is traumatic to a child and his or her development. To live with the unknown and the unpredictability is traumatic to a child. So I'm gonna talk about trauma. I'm gonna talk about why some children are more resilient in terms of growing up even in a home that has difficulty than other children are. I'm gonna talk about um, messages that we want to give children who may still be in these families today. I'm gonna talk about how we can maybe shape behaviors because sometimes we can't take a kid out of the environment, but we can still make a difference in their life. We can still make a difference in how it is they experience themselves so that they don't get caught up in those dysfunctional family roles. So they don't get caught up in rigid roles I talk in detail about roles that we take on the family mascot, the family adjuster, lost child, the family caretaker, and their strengths and all of that. But you get to keep your strengths. You know, whatever you did to survive that brought you strength, you get to keep those strengths. It's what you didn't get to learn that causes problems as we move through life. So I help identify what those are. So you have a sense of direction about what you really want to start attending to more. I always say that, People live a script versus choice. And when we attend to these issues, today you have a choice about how you live your life. What I'll also talk in depth about is one, um, what alcohol and drugs can do for you when you come from this kind of history that sets you up for your own addiction. But I'll also talk in detail about growing up like this, how it sets you up to be in relationship with somebody who's very similar to your parents. I'm a repetition, we call that. Wow. What else would you like people to know about you? I would like them to about me. Um, I've been in this field for a lot of years and, um, and complex is a defining word for the work that uh, lives of the people that I work with, but it's truly an honor 
for me to be a part of this journey with people, to be a part of the process of recovery and healing, because I get to be witness to the transformations that people make in their life. And so what I really want them to know is you don't have to continue to live with the self-doubt and the fears and the loneliness and um, the troubled relationships and all of that history that you have behind you, that, that you have the ability in which to put the past behind um, so that you can truly be here in the present today. And that recovery is a wonderful process. And as I said, it's um, often transformational. And I think that there's two big resistances to recovery. I'd like it to be pain-free. Um, well, it usually has some emotional pain associated with your life has had pain associated. And you can get through that pain. And that the other resistance is, okay, but I'd like to handle this by myself. And I understand I come from this kind of history. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's what's helpful for people to know. You know, I've walked these shoes in terms of the pain, but I've also got the opportunity to walk these shoes in terms of the recovery process. And, uh, and it just hasn't worn me down. Um, all of these years, because as I say, I get to be witness uh, to the healing and the recovery. It must be so rewarding to know that your research is impacting so many lives. It is, it is. And uh, well, it, it is, I find that very humbling. Um, you know, I didn't set out to do this. It's really evolved for me. And uh, I came to believe at a very young age, in spite of what was going on at home. I came to believe that nobody deserves to live with the fear and the shame that occurs in this kind of family. Uh, certainly as children, we didn't, but neither did you know my mother um, who wasn't the addicted person, but neither did my father who was the addicted. And that a lot of my life work and in my writing, I think you feel it, a sense of passion in the writing is that nobody today, nobody deserves to live like that. And, and, and you don't have to continue down that path. Yeah. That's so amazing. I really want to say, you know, if you've read this book in the past, read the third edition again. I think that you will find it validating again, but I also think that you'll find it much more expansive in terms of um, some of the original material. And I feel like it's, it's very timely because here we are at home having to face a lot of issues under our own roof, our relationships, ourselves. You know, we, we can't hide from who we are. And yes. it's an important time of growth. Yes. And we all know, I mean, it's been all over the news. I mean, the uh, rates of substance use um, and other addictions are skyrocketing in this pandemic. Um, family violence is, depression is. Mental anxiety. health pandemic was before and now it's even more so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, um, so there are people out there that are willing to help you. Um, there are self-help and 12-step programs available um, through Zoom today. Mm -hmm. You don't have to wait for this pandemic to be over. Um, it's okay to reach out and ask for help. Yeah. And sometimes it's the crisis that allows us to ask for help. Yeah. That being in this crisis right now. And, you know, when people are sort of shut into their homes with the dynamic that's going on, it's like a mirror to all that pain. Yeah. And so um, for children, we need to really help them find uh, resources if they're living in a home where there's active addiction that's going on. And the schools are still available to those children, but it's often on Zoom. I've seen wonderful stories in various communities of social workers and school settings reaching out to kids who are isolated, yes. um, really affected and uh, economically by this pandemic as well. 
Um, there are family service agencies. I uh, work with and give a lot of time to a group called Camp Mariposa, which offers uh, camps for children nine through 12. Well, they can't do camps at this stage, but we're taking camps to them through Zoom. I'm, I'm impressed with the creativity that people have found within themselves to be able to reach out to people in need at this time. Yeah. I will say this, um, also people should know that if they're a student, let's say they're a freshman at a college, if they're enrolled, they should see if their health services fee covers mental health because usually it does. Mm -hmm. And you know, I know for instance, it's available to us for my kids through their colleges and they can talk to somebody for nothing because it's included in that fee. So just because they don't want to talk to you, the parent, give them someone else to talk to that they feel comfortable talking to. And I think particularly when it comes to teenagers, older teenagers and young adults, they aren't wanting to talk to their parents. One, they're embarrassed, they're confused. Uh, parents may have a lot to do with the problem. Yeah. Um, and to not be insulted by that, but to let them know that you'll help them find a resource if they're willing. And yeah. So to support them in that process. Because they are experiencing so much from this. They're so negatively impacted by COVID, you know, not having certain milestones or starting freshman year remotely and not feeling like they can even connect with anybody online in their class or their teacher, you know? And, you know, this, they're at a time in their life where they're you know, making decisions about important relationships, but also where they're going in their life, where they're going in terms of their passion, where they're going in terms of educational goals and work goals. And this, and that's a hard enough passage for them. Yeah. But the pandemic on top of that, which has limited them in so many uh, different ways. Uh, so take seriously, if you see signs of depression, take seriously yeah. if their anxiety is so isolating that that's impairing them in terms of just daily functioning. When I say take seriously, that people who've never before been depressed, never before used substances, never before been anxious are experiencing this and, and people are available, most likely they're available uh, through the internet at this point. Sure, great advice. Where can people find out more about you? ClaudiaBlack.com. Uh, and all of my publishing is with Central Recovery Press. And I oversee a young adult program with the Meadows in Arizona. And I have the Claudia Black Center for Young Adults at the Meadows Treatment Center. And it's not that you have a young adult in trouble necessarily, but you can find out a lot more about me. And, and I have written many books. I have actually written 15, 16 books at this point. Really? So I have a lot of books. And so Central Recovery Press has a library under my name. Good. And I always say I'm not the Australian sci-fi actress. But <laughs> um, if this book is of interest to you, you may also want to check out the multitude of other books that I have. And I really do write, for the most part, my books to the person who's been impacted. And then hope that the psychotherapist um, will be able to take that book and run with it. But I don't want people to think that they're academically written. Oh, good, good. Are they, so they're written for even like, could they be written for teens or college students? College students, absolutely. Yeah. And your older teen, your 16, 17 year old. Fantastic. Yes, thank well, you. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much.
Well, this is a really important issue at a difficult time. Holidays are such a difficult oh, time so for families hard. affected by addiction, let alone in, in the context of a pandemic. Yeah. And you know, I know your show has a lot to do with resilience. And I just want to reaffirm the resilience that I see with this population. But I also don't want people to just rely on, I've heard so many people say, you know, this nine-year-old is so resilient. This nine-year-old is doing so well in spite of well, they are, but that rubber band will only stretch so far and then it's going to break or those leaks are going to happen. Yes, and yes. so, again, what we need to do is need to go in and uh, really support them in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And for parents, I want to say it's important that you be the best parent, not their best friend when it's about kids that you're still raising. Right. Yeah. No, I feel like it's really important to tune into their mental, physical and emotional health. Yes, yeah. very much so. I know a lot Mental. of kids, they don't want to really leave their rooms. They'll spend a lot of time in their phones. You know, it's a question of are they getting outside, taking a, you know, even wearing a mask, taking a walk. And a lot of times they don't want to. You know, they're yes. not motivated. It's hard to, to push yourself. That whole issue of screens with kids is problematic in and of itself before the pandemic. The pandemic is just exacerbating it yeah. in that we're seeing a direct relationship with depression, anxiety, yeah. Um, yeah. in one's how much time they're spending in mm -hmm. front of a screen. And what you're talking about in terms of not being outside, it's, it's outside in essence in play, which is limited right now, but it's outside in play where children learn uh, conflict resolution with their peers. They learn problem solving. They, in as they have fun with peers, they learn attachment in a healthy way in terms of intimacy. And I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, I'm talking right. about emotional intimacy and friendships. And it's in the playground, they learn how to be with people on an equal basis. And, and that's not happening. It's not happening, one, in an addictive home. Mm -hmm. None of that is happening. They're right. not learning right. negotiation, uh, resolution. They're not learning how to perceive options available. They're not learning healthy attachment. And then you add the screen on top of that. And that whole thing of FOMO, fear of missing out, um, there's all kinds of wonderful research, unfortunately, um, what I mean by very credible research that shows a direct relationship with the amount of time you spend on screen has so much to do with loneliness, unhappiness, depression, suicidality, self-harm. And so even though I'm sure that the amount of time has increased with the pandemic, one needs to be vigilant because as you say, we can still get outside and walk. There are still parks. We can do that socially distance. We can do that with masks. I got a mask right in my lap right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so again, we just really need to be creative. And also we can do other things to be on the screen. Um, we can be reading um, off a screen. We can be creating art projects, craft projects. Um, yes, I agree. Well, thank you again. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. I have too. It's a real pleasure. Hello to everybody down there in Southern California. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you. you Stay safe.